Hello, my friends. I went to Tucker Carlson's speech in Edmonton last night. It was fun. It was huge. And it was interesting for an outsider to comment on our inside politics. I really enjoyed it. I'll take you through some of the highlights. That's next. But first, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus, especially for video-heavy comments like tonight. I just want you to see what it was like. I want you to see the 10,000 people there. I want you to see him laughing. I want you to see the rage of the NDP uh, in Alberta and the media party. To do that, go to rebelnewsplus.com. Click subscribe, save bucks a month, you get the video version of all these podcasts and the satisfaction of knowing you're helping Rebel News stay strong. That's rebelnewsplus.com. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, Tucker Carlson invades Canada. It's January 25th, and this is the Ezra LeVant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. U.S. TV star, journalist, and commentator Tucker Carlson is interested in Canada, which is unusual. And over the years, especially when he was at Fox News, he would sometimes use clips of our work, and sometimes he'd even invite our journalists on. I think I went on the show three or four times. Here's an example. Ezra, thanks so much for doing the show. What is going on in Canada? Serious. I mean, this is, it's hard to believe what's happening in Canada. What is this? Well, I'm reluctant to use the word Kristallnacht because uh, we're not there yet. That was the night of the broken glass in pre-Holocaust Germany where they smashed and burned and killed Jewish synagogues. It was a precursor to the Holocaust. Obviously, we are not that far gone yet. But what do you call it when literally dozens of churches are being systematically vandalized, torched? There was one fire in the B.C. interior that wiped out a whole village of 250 people, two people dead, and it is not yet determined who caused it, but it was in an area where other churches have been torched, so it may actually have its first victims. The crazy thing is this is so explicitly an anti-church hate crime wave, and yet Justin Trudeau, who is normally the first and the wokest, waited a week before saying anything, and he literally said, that's not the way to go. That was as tough as he got. David, thanks so much uh, for coming on. You look great, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know Tucker, on network TV, as they say, <laughs> as they say, give him the jiggle with the giggle, right? <laughs> that is 100%. And look, as long as you feel empowered, we're for it. Um, but to, to tell us, like, how, since you are wearing the costume of the shop teacher in Ontario, I mean, I mean how could you teach shop class wearing those things, I guess, just to, just to core competency first? Oh, uh, Tucker, you could not. In fact, I've always said, forget about the Ministry of Education. Where's the Ministry of Labor? Uh, long sleeves, long hair, not done up in a bun or a hairnet, jewelry. Um, Bussy Lemieux breaks every shop etiquette rule in the book. We became sort of chummy. I mean, I didn't go out with him on a personal level, but I, I think his news organization and our news organization had a meeting of the minds. And in fact, uh, I, the real disappointment to me was that Tucker's team came to Toronto, and I think they traveled around Canada a little bit too, to do a whole documentary on the state of Canada. And they interviewed me, and they interviewed David Menzies. I think they interviewed Alexa Lavoie. They put together this glorious documentary that was really half about Rebel News, but unfortunately, they kicked out Tucker Carlson the week before it was scheduled to air. Broke my heart that that wasn't aired, but we have a uh, similar outlook on the world. We're just uh, 1% the size that he is. Anyways, uh, he was invited to give a couple of speeches in Alberta yesterday, a lunch hour speech in Calgary, and then an evening speech in Edmonton. And he announced them in a really cheeky way. Here he is phoning the prime minister's office, listening to their voice message in English and then Francais, and announcing he was coming to liberate Canada. Thank you for your 
for your call. You have reached the media line. For all urgent requests, please send your request by email. Merci pour votre appel. Vous avez atteint la ligne médiatique. Merci beaucoup. Yes, hi. I, I couldn't understand the French part, but it's Tucker Carlson calling from the United States. And I'd be grateful if you pass a message on to the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. We are coming to liberate Canada. We are coming to liberate Canada. And we'll be there soon. Merci. He loves saying that because he knows that her triggers the humorless leftists in both politics and journalism. And when he was in Alberta, he did another clip where he really emphasized that word liberate. Take a look at this one. We have arrived in Canada finally. We're standing on the commanding heights over Edmonton, Canadian Rockies on the one side, Prairie on the other. We came as on D-Day by air, but we came not to subjugate or enslave, but to enlighten and to liberate. We came to bring the fragrance of freedom to the rotting corpse of despotism. And never has a people needed it more, the Canadian people, oppressed by Justin Trudeau, but it doesn't need to be that way. These are the people who once brewed Molson, who commanded sled dog teams, who played hockey outside in the winter. They have it in them to throw off the yoke of totalitarianism. They need only to be reminded that they can. And they also need to learn it doesn't have to be like this. You don't have to be the country with the fastest declining standard of living in the so-called Western world. You can do better. You just need better leadership. So we hope to awaken them. Wish us luck. And then right before he landed in Alberta, he did a long-form interview with a fella all about the truckers. And he played an excerpt of David Menzies being arrested by Christian Freeland's bodyguards. It was really on his mind, and I'm glad. Here, take a look at that excerpt of that interview. So what you have in a country like Canada, where you have an authoritarian government that's taken away civil liberties, a dying middle class, and no media, is you have almost nobody pushing back against the lies. There is maybe one news organization left in Canada that does, that asks very simple questions of the people who run the country. Why are you doing this? Can you answer the question? That's Rebel News. Watch one of their reporters try to ask Krista Freeland, who's a, the finance minister of Canada, spent many years in Washington, D.C., known to many people who lived in D.C. as a kind of low IQ functionary. She now has power, and she does not want to answer any questions from the one independent media organization remaining in Canada. Watch what happens when a reporter tries to get her to answer the question. Ms. Freeland, how come the IRDC is not a terrorist group? Why is your government supporting Islamo-Nazis? What? You did this. What are you doing? You're under arrest for assault. Why are you supposed to be? You're under arrest for assault. Who are you? You're under arrest for assault. What are you talking about? Police, you're under arrest. How am I under arrest? You bumped into me. You pushed into me. You bumped. I was just scrubbing. I've got my credentials here, and you just bumped into me. Can I have the microphone? Can I have the microphone? Can I have the microphone? Can you give? I'm not Take your hand out. Why am I under arrest? I'm just doing my job. This is your Canada now, folks. You know, this is the Gestapo taking blackface's orders. So Canada has descended to an extremely dark place, and there are a lot of threads to the story. We're going to Canada very soon to see it for ourselves. I appreciate that because, you know, um, we have more solidarity sometimes from people outside of Canada than we do from journalists inside Canada. Uh, so he had two events in Alberta yesterday, Calgary and Edmonton. Now, they were subject to some sort of cancel culture attempts by both the mainstream media and politicians. It, it was really gross to see in particular, Danielle Smith, the premier of Alberta, agreed to speak and engage in a conversation with Tucker Carlson, and all the mean girls in the media party tried to block her from going. It was really gross, and I was delighted that they failed. Now, look at this picture that was tweeted out uh, of uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson, who was there also, and Conrad Black, Danielle Smith, and, of course, Tucker Carlson. Oh, the rage about that tweet. You wouldn't think, I mean, look, Jordan Peterson is perhaps the world's most famous Canadian. Um, Conrad Black, I mean, you could take him or leave it. I like the guy. I think he's very smart and he has a great history. Um, Tucker Carlson, one of the world's most popular journalists, and Danielle Smith, an effective, popular provincial premier. These are all reputable people, but the rage in that photo. Uh, Here's Andrew Coyne who says, in fairness, they deserve each other. It's sort of weird. 
given that uh, Conrad Black really gave Andrew Coyne his start in journalism. I think that Conrad, so I think that, pardon me, Andrew Coyne and the other mean girls in the media were sort of mad that they weren't invited to such a big thing. And they're sort of mad. I think in, in Coyne's case in particular, he's mad that he doesn't have the power to curate what other people can see and hear. Uh, what I mean by that is he couldn't stop this huge event. The one in Calgary had about 4,000 people. The one in Edmonton last night that I was at had, I don't think to say close to 10,000 people. That is a lot of people choosing to get news and opinion elsewhere than Andrew Coyne. Um, you know, it's it, it's sort of sad. I used to be chummy with Coyne. I, I, I don't think he's a principled conservative, which he sometimes pretends to be. Um, he pretends to be very concerned about our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. He's been very quiet about the federal court case the other day that threw out the Emergencies Act uh, on charter grounds. And, and I think the reason for that is because at his heart, Coyne and much of the media party are snobs. They look down their nose at anyone who has made it in an independent citizen journalist kind of way. I mean, they hated Tucker Carlson when he was at Fox, but they positively loathe him now that he's independent. So there was this attempt to get Danielle Smith not to attend, and the CBC wrote attack pieces, and the NDP opposition wrote attacks, and the federal liberals are all trying to get Danielle Smith not to talk to Tucker Carlson. Just stop for a second and think how weird and petty that is. That really is like the mean girls in high school. Anyhow, for all of it, in the city of Calgary, what's that, a million and a half people almost, there were a grand total of three protesters. Look at this kook, absolutely pitiful. Uh, and in Edmonton, there was one protester, one in a city of more than a million. They were so mad. What are they mad about? I mean, why don't they, if, if, if they have some disagreement with Tucker Carlson, why don't they have a debate with them? I think Tucker Carlson would love a debate. Or why don't they just put out some essay wide? Now, the Toronto Star, and I can assure you their readership in Alberta is in uh, single digits. They did something they've never done before. They tried humor. I think that's what this is. Um, humor and leftism don't go together very well. Uh, don't take my word for it. Ask anyone from Jerry Seinfeld uh, on down. They, they don't even go to college campuses anymore because you can't make fun of anything. Um, I'm going to take a minute and read to you the Toronto Star's attempt to put Tucker Carlson in his place. I mean, Tucker... Some of his videos on Twitter have 50 million or more, 50 million or more views. And the Toronto Star, they're going to put him in. I'm going to read this to you slowly. So this is a Toronto Star rebuttal to Tucker coming to Canada. It wouldn't surprise me if they tried to get the immigration minister to block him. Um, here, here's the start. Tucker Carlson is in Canada to liberate us from the tyranny of Justin Trudeau. Yeah, that's, that's what he said he was going to do. This is just performance theater. Carlson couldn't liberate a kitten from a treetop with a cherry picker and giant net. Ha 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 ha! Ha ha ha! That, that's a good one! You put him in this place! Ha 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 See, you see what I mean? You're not allowed to make funny jokes anymore because funny jokes, you know, they focus on foibles or they, they you know, never a truer word spoken than in jest. You're not really allowed to be funny, and that, that counts as funny as the Toronto Star. I'm going to keep on reading. Warning. Tucker Carlson is in Canada this week, the conservative firebrand and Guinness record holder for world's creepiest laugh. <laughs> Boy, they're zinging him, eh? He does have a funny laugh, and he leans into it. He says, you know my laugh is real because no one would choose to laugh like this. He's in Alberta for two events in Calgary and Edmonton on Wednesday. It's like when, and then, this is amazing, it's like when Phil Collins performed in London and Philadelphia during Live Aid. You know, if Live Aid was a sneer fest of political and social grievances, and Mr. Collins had vowed to liberate Canada. What? I think Live Aid, if memory serves, was in 1985, so they're reaching for a 40-year-old meme. I mean, I remember that. I was I was a kid watching Live Aid. It was a live music show. And the cool thing was a star named Phil Collins performed in London, and then he flew to America and performed there too. So he went really, and that was sort of really cool. And and they reached back 40 years for that pop culture reference. Do you get any of this? Do you understand? Is that, 
Is it is this fun? Is it supposed to be funny? I I'm gonna read some more because this is the weirdest thing I've read. I promise I'll get back to Tucker. I really promise I will. But just give me a minute to show how crazy he made the left. To plug his trip, Carlson released a video Tuesday in which he leaves a voicemail on the PML's, PMO's media line. After getting fired from CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News, it seems there is time to prank call world leaders in between fishing and kvetching. Yes, hi, I couldn't understand the French part, Carlson says after the beep, staring at his phone with the resting face of a man constipated by gummy worms. <laughs> oh, boy, the sick burn, bro. I don't think he's going to recover from that. Oh, my God. You know, it's very hard to be funny, but it's, I think it's impossible to be a funny leftist. You're just not allowed to laugh at anything. But it's Tucker Carlson calling from the United States, and I'd be grateful if you pass a message on to the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. We are coming to liberate Canada. We are coming to liberate Canada, and we'll be there soon. Merci. Look, it's, it's a lighthearted, goofy joke by Tucker Carlson made exactly because he knew the Toronto Star and the CBC would flip out over it. I'm willing to read a little bit. Can a country file a restraining order against a foreign media star? Why is Tucker stalking us? What is his problem? Um, I, I think I know why he's here, because he was invited to speak to, what, 14,000 people? Liberate us from what? Well, uh, there's a lot of tyranny in this country, and if you don't believe me, why don't you ask uh, Justice Mosley of the Federal Court of Canada, who outlined the tyranny that Trudeau has brought us. And if you watch my show, you know other tyrannies he's bringing in, for example, in censorship. Liberate us of what? Universal health care? Safe schools? Social and economic metrics that routinely rank Canada in the top five of best countries in the world. He stopped for a second, stop for a second. Is any of that even true? Like, he reached back 40 years for some pop culture reference. Do you actually think that Canada, like, does anyone even say Canada has the best healthcare in the world anymore? Does anyone, how many shootings are there? Does anyone say that schools are safe anymore? I feel like I'm in some weird time machine here. Does he want to ban a, a vaccines, abortion, or is this jerky beef? Just really with Trudeau jerky me. <laughs> I'm gonna stop there. I I don't think I've ever read anything so cringeworthy in my life. The Toronto Star should do what they're best at, which is just call people racist. Uh, Tucker Carlson is actually a very funny guy, and he laughs at himself too, including he laughs at his own laugh. Um, I don't think the Toronto Star is going to beat him if they go for humor versus humor. I just I just don't think leftist comedians are funny. And if they're funny and turn leftist, then they're no longer funny anymore. Think of Senator Silverman. Anyways, back to Tucker. So Tucker was uh, in Calgary first. I was not at that speech, um, but Danielle Smith, the premier, was. And it was actually a very substantive meeting. And by meeting, I mean public conversation with 4,000 people. Here's Premier Danielle Smith talking about doubling the amount of oil and gas production, doubling the amount of oil and gas Alberta is going to produce. The energy-rich province of the country uh, was almost out of electricity just recently. So does this, if at the current trajectory, you know, it'll be Bolivia in terms of this power grid, what, does that get better soon or does it continue to get what, What's your projection? Well, fortunately, we do have people who've soldiered on and are going to bring on new uh, baseload uh, natural gas power in the new year. So that will stabilize on that front. Yeah. Um, we, we also, I mean, I would like to, to take a page out of, the, of, of what the Americans are doing, really, because on, on the one hand, federal leadership is talking along the same lines that... Oh, I've noticed. But look what's happening. America has become the largest producer of oil and gas for export in that same period of time, while all of the politicians have said they're going in the opposite direction. So I think we should just double down and decide we're going to double our oil and gas production because... <laughs> Holy cow, uh, that's a little bit of news. And she wasn't shy about taking on Stephen Gilbo, the creepy, you want to talk about creepy, the creepy uh, environment minister. Take a look at this. You know, 
much about Stephen Gibo. I don't know if I've ever heard him. I'm, I'm wanting to learn less, just by your description. Talk about uh, uh, the disrespect to our province. This is a guy who is an environmental advocate. He's best known for scaling the CN Tower in opposition of fossil fuels when he was working as an environmental advocate. But he also scaled the house of our premier. So he's a rock climber. Well, maybe he'd be better at that. But imagine that. Imagine somebody going and taking a criminal offense, going onto the roof of a premier, that they make that person in charge of trying to dictate to us how to pull our resources out of ground, how to manage our natural resources, how to how to manage our electricity grid. That's what Justin Trudeau has done. So I'm trying to get him fired and I would love your help on that. Yeah. I love how she mentioned not just the CN Tower crime that Gilbo committed, but that rooftop thing. I don't know if you remember, we've mentioned it a couple of times before, Lauren Gunder reminded me of him. Stephen Gilbo went to the private personal residential home of former Premier Ralph Klein. When Ralph Klein wasn't there, Ralph Klein was in Edmonton. This was the house in Calgary where his wife was by herself in the house. And Gilbo, this creepy weirdo, gets a ladder and goes on their house without permission or notice or warning or, or legal right and starts to install some solar panel or something. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be? What a freak. And I'm so glad that Danielle Smith brought that up. And, and I think she will succeed in getting that creepy weirdo fired. And by creepy weirdo, I got to narrow it down and tell you I'm referring to Stephen Gilbo. I did go to Edmonton and I took the night flight back to be here on town in time. It was huge, almost 10,000 people. Uh, here's a little video. Uh, you can see my friend Sheila Gunn Reed. And then I panned the crowd. It hadn't even started yet, people were still filing in. You know what, boy, was the media mad when they saw that. And my friend Dean Scareco says, how many peeps show up in Edmonton for these four? Hey, look at those dour, dreary, scowling CBCers compared to the funny, self-deprecating Tucker Carlson and the thoughtful Jordan Peterson and the fresh new premier Danielle Smith. By the way, do you think Justin Trudeau would risk going to a group of 10,000 people you know the booze that would happen? Here's the applause for when Danielle Smith took to the stage. Could you imagine this for any other politician in Canada? Maybe Pierre Polyev? But look at this. We know what would happen if Trudeau showed up to 10,000 people. You don't have to guess. Here's what 10,000, here's what 40,000 people had to say, and Trudeau wasn't even there. Yeah, I don't think Justin Trudeau's going to go speak before 10,000 random people anytime soon. Um, one of my favorite things about the speech when I was uh, in Edmonton last night was that uh, Tucker Carlson, who says he follows Canada closely, and I believe he does, you really zeroed in on Christian Freeland, who you may know worked in America for a while in media, absolutely destroying a huge operation that Royce, who just ran it into the ground. Here's Tucker Carlson talking about her. And I know a lot about this because I knew Christia Freeland uh, when she you know, was a journalist at the Financial Times, whose name shall forever live in infamy for employing her. And I remember even then thinking, this woman is not bright at all. But boy, does she have high self-esteem. I don't think I've ever even seen it. It's off, it's off the, I don't know what the self-esteem measurement scale is, the Richter scale. But her self-esteem was literally unassailable. It was bomb-proof. If a nuclear bomb dropped on your town, you could hide beneath Christia Freeland's self-esteem and live. There's like nothing you could do to shake it. Nothing. No amount of evidence of her stupidity and wrong decisions and idiotic views could dissuade her from the core belief that she was awesome and you were not. she's helping to run and destroy your country. But she's doing it in, a, in her signature way. She's not getting on the CBC, her media outlet, which like almost all outlets in this wonderful oppressed country is run by the government. It's all state media, it's Albania in 1985. 
And I'm sure we have people whose families were refugees from Albania, welcome, um, and you know what I'm talking about. But at least you could say of the Albanian leader in 1985, Enver Hoxha, that when he went full fascist, he just like didn't mince words. Shut up and obey or we'll shoot you. Christian Freeland is wise enough, clever enough, in her serpent-like way, to make it all about your protection and safety. All about your protection and safety. No, we're just trying to help you. That's why you're in shackles. You're being arrested right now for your safety. Oh, it's for the common good. Don't worry, you'll understand. I always want to say, Mrs. Freeland, can I go to the bathroom? No. No, you can't. And you can just imagine her taking great, great glee as your fourth grade self wet his pants in class as Mrs. Freeland refuses to let you go to the bathroom. So that's kind of more diabolical than what we've seen in previous generations, and it's much more effective in a committedly polite country like Canada because you don't know that it's happening. And because a demagogue like that, or your completely bizarre cross-dressing prime minister, <laughs> it's true, prime minister blackface. Um, I, didn't, I didn't wear blackface, he did. Uh, he, three times, thank you. Three times, and I wanna thank you for your commitment to the facts. Um, the Prime Minister, right, the Prime Minister. Um, their attack on your rights, which is an attack on you and your children, is cloaked in the language of therapy, self-help, and compassion. He's right. That's more journalism and more knowledgeable criticism of Christopher Freeland than I've seen from any Canadian pundit. Tucker mentioned our friend David Menzies several times. Uh, he mentioned her one, him once. And then when Conrad Black sort of came to Christy Freeland's defense, which I didn't particularly uh, uh, love, um, Tucker Carlson smacked him down, reminding Conrad Black why he was too nice to Christy Freeland. By the fact of it, Christy Freeland may not have ordered the arrest of David Menzies, but she sat there and smirked while it happened. Take a look at clip number two. I didn't think that she was as malicious and cold uh, as I now believe she is, until I saw the video of David Menzies from Rebel News. Yeah. Yeah. How would I feel if someone approached me and asked a question, even a question I don't like, and my security team threw him against a wall and put him in handcuffs? I would say, you stop that immediately. I could not, as a matter of conscience, allow a man to be arrested in my presence for asking a question. And I think that anyone who thinks that's okay is a, is a truly dangerous person who should not have power. I think we she watched it. No, 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 let me say something. I think in a way what happened is even more worrisome than that. Some palooka from the RCMP took it upon himself as a demonstration of initiative, precisely the kind of initiative you attributed to the, uh, the people in goose-stepping and tight uniforms. I mean, many people, especially in the United States, still think of the RCMP as people in red tunics of the musical ride and you know, Rosemary with Nelson Eddy and so on, singing in the Rockies here. Uh, they, but we saw in the McDonald Commission inquiry after the imposition of the War Measures Act by the elder Trudeau in 1970, what an absolutely incompetent bunch of palookas the RCMP are. So some of the blame belongs on them. I don't I agree, but it's her security detail. And as someone, I know you spent a lot of your life with security around you, whatever, you just can't allow that. You just cannot allow people to behave that way. Because it's such a violation of human rights. And that's happening in this country. No one said anything about it. There were a lot of interesting things in his speech. I thought this discussion of transgenderism as a form of anti-Christian humiliation it was very interesting. I hadn't heard that before. Some things about history, and I, here's my recommendation. Spend, you know, like an afternoon reading about the French Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917, the Spanish Civil War, and what do they all have in common? 
at their heart was a desire not to replace Christianity with reason, as the Jacobins claimed, but to crush and destroy and to humiliate Christians in a way that's very reminiscent of what the Romans did in the first and second centuries. It's not just like, oh, that's silly and superstitious, we're gonna move on to something better. It's no, we're going to crush you and we're gonna ritually humiliate you. And that is very much what the trans thing is about. No one is helped by transgenderism. You've never met anyone who is happier because he's self-castrated. I personally feel very sorry for trans people. I'm not angry at them at all. I think they are victims um, of bigger forces. But to officially promote that is a humiliation ritual designed to put Christians in an untenable position where they have to either swear allegiance to the new state religion, which is transgenderism, or to their ancestral religion, which is Christianity. It is a loyalty test, and it's meant to humiliate and destroy them. And let's, let's just be honest about what we're seeing Obviously, uh, the big topic in 2024, especially in the United States, is Donald Trump. And here's what Tucker had to say about him. And so that's not a revolutionary agenda, nor is it a counter-revolutionary agenda. It's a return to normalcy. And the phrase, make America great again, means return it to a period not so long ago, when everyone was enfranchised and everyone had rights, and everyone was roughly, not everyone, but most people were sort of united in a sense of common purpose and culture. They were Americans. And they knew what that meant. We don't have that anymore. And that's Trump's vision. So you may not think that's possible. Um, you may not think maybe that's even virtuous to want that. But if you think that's a grotesque hellscape that he's describing, you're the freak, not him. And yet they all feel that way. They mean it too, they really feel that way. It's not a joke. And so what's gonna happen? And I guess I dissent a little bit from the much more optimistic view that you have both of you, which I really appreciate hearing and I want to believe it, but that in the end, the will of the people matters. The conclusion that I've come to is that it matters less than it should. And that the people in power really do make the bulk of the decisions. And I say that after spending 35 years in Washington and watching the agenda of both parties and comparing that agenda to the public opinion polling of what people actually want and finding no union set. No union set. Like there's not the same agendas. And we have a democratic system where these people are elected every two years in the Congress, every six years in the Senate, every four years in the White House. And their agenda never changes, and the desires of the American public by and large are never met or even addressed. And you sort of, after a while, conclude, maybe it doesn't matter what people want, it only matters what people in power want. I don't want to think that, but I don't know what other conclusion to reach. So what you have now is a legit mass movement on behalf of Donald Trump that's 100% real, and you have absolute ironclad resistance to the democratic process working its way to a legitimate conclusion by the people who have all the power. What happens next? I don't even know. And I'll sum it up this way. Today, it is a race in the foreseeable future between Donald Trump, the former president, now effectively the Republican nominee, and the incumbent president, president, who got more votes than Barack Obama somehow, because um, he's just so popular. It's just the magnetism. Um, he spent the entire 2020 campaign moldering and deteriorating in his basement, and somehow he was more popular than Barack Obama. Right, okay. Anyway, uh, so it's the race between Biden and Obama. I just don't see that happening. I just don't. And that, you know, I hope to be wrong, I want to return to normalcy too. I'm the opposite of a revolutionary too. That's what I love about Trump. He doesn't want radical change. We're not, we're not actually made for radical change. We can't digest it. People hate radical change. They want kind of continuity, and I do too. But I just don't see this playing out the way it's currently formulated. Sorry. I thought it was a very exciting night. I mean, I, I went there and back overnight, so I'm a little bit sleepy today. But uh, I met so many super rebel fans. Um, it was great to chat with so many folks and shake hands. And I even did a few selfies too. A lot of people came up to me and said they liked our Davos coverage, which was good because I never know. You know, I go to Davos with the World Economic Forum and try and scrum these VVIPs. Most of them don't talk to us. I think, does anyone value this? Like, like, I think there's some value to asking questions even if the VIP doesn't answer. And I was thrilled that that was the number one thing that people brought up with me. Anyhow, that's what uh, 10,000 Edmontonians were doing last night, but Trudeau himself was pretty busy. Look at this clip. I want to tell you, I did not believe this was a real clip. I thought this was digitally altered. So I checked it out. This is real. Just take a look at that weirdo. Who's the weirdo? That's Justin Trudeau. You know, Tucker said one thing, and I, I don't have the clip of it with me, 
he said the key to taking on Christian Friel and Justin Trudeau and other little tyrants like that is to laugh at them, to mock them. He said to, to do so uh, infuriates them, and it takes away their moral and political power, and he's right. And he says we have to do that to Trudeau and Freeland, and he did that all, all night himself. He called Trudeau a cross-dresser who was not out. I, I don't know if that's a reference to sexuality or Trudeau's bizarre dress-up in costumes all the time, and, and maybe, uh, maybe some of his blackface antics, but I loved hearing it. And what a difference between how Tucker makes jokes and that weird thing I half-read to you from the Toronto Star. Anyways, it was a great evening, and sometimes... For uh, we, we look at our own situation, we're almost trapped in a rut of looking at it in the same way. It takes an outsider coming in with fresh eyes to give us a new perspective, and I really like that. Uh, today, instead of the interview portion on the podcast, I'm going to leave you with Tucker's entire Calgary speech. And I feel comfortable doing that because he himself published it for free to the internet. So we're sort of borrowing this from Tucker's uh, Twitter account which if you're not following it, you really should. It's funny. It's prolific. He does interviews. He goes places. He does. Um, it, it really is a fun website. And I'm delighted that he's focused on Canada. So let me leave you with Tucker Cal uh, Carlson's full Calgary speech. I'm going to say goodbye now, but enjoy the speech. It's only about 20 minutes. From all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters to you at home, good night and keep fighting for freedom. How about a huge Alberta welcome for the one and only Tucker Carlson. to tell the truth about something, you are filled with this, I don't want to get supernatural, but you are filled with this power from somewhere else. Try it. Tell the truth about something. You feel it every day. The more you tell the truth, the stronger you become. No wrong gain in the propane guns. The chosen one has the living proof with the gift of gas from the city of truth. I jab and stab and not critics back. I'm really honored. <laughs> I think that's that's my friend Kid Rock in the background. Thank you truly for having me. Wow, that was the wildest uh, intro I've had ever. Um, someone just gave me this T-shirt, which I just love so much. I'm actually going to wear it in the privacy of my own home. Al freaking Berta, baby. What a what a what a great province this is, what a great country this is. In fact, I was just be told, I've never actually never said this to anyone, including my wife, but I know that in Canada it's official policy that coming out of the closet is good, <laughs> unless you're the prime minister. Uh, but so I'm going to, um, I'm going to reveal something about myself that I've never revealed, which is that I am part Canadian. And yes, I am. I, I actually am part Canadian. And I was thinking this morning, I was like, you know, I always say I'm the only American who's like legitimately interested in Canada, and I am, and I always have been, and I wonder why am I so obsessed with Canada? And I thought, because I'm part Canadian. My great-grandfather, actually my father's family was in the colonies, and then they brought democracy, and they're like, we're out, we're going to Nova Scotia. And um, so they spent a couple hundred years there, the Rayfuses, they're still there, by the way. I think they're all liberals, but... Um, and then my great-grandfather's like, I'm going to try that again. So he comes to the United States, and I'm here as a result. So I feel it in, in me is Canadian. And I've been all over your country. And uh, I've been everywhere in your country. And I just think it's a remarkable place. And I think people don't quite understand what Canada is because so much of it is bumped right up against our border. And I would argue, no offense, that the least impressive places in Canada are right up against our border. 
But once you get past that, it's just unbelievable. I've been to this city a lot because of your mountains, which I just find beyond belief, really the prettiest places I've ever been. This country is the prettiest country I've ever been in. The second biggest country in the world, bigger than the United States, deeper oil reserves than the United States, more natural resources than the United States, and one-ninth the population. And when I hear the lunatics that run your government, are like, our population's growing, we're so excited. I'm like, really, you wanna live in a crowded country? 40 million people in the world's second biggest country? That sounds like the kind of place I wanna live. Like, what are you even talking about, you morons? But anyway, um, so I've come to Canada a lot, and every time I come, uh, you know, so many things strike me. First and foremost, the natural beauty, the unbelievable natural beauty, prettier than Switzerland, in my opinion. Um, and the second thing I notice is the politeness of the people. That's real. And the third thing I notice is that all the comedians left decades ago. And it brings it out in me. And I, making fun of Canadians, and I, as I've already told you, and I, th I hope it's obvious, is done with love. But I just can't control myself because no one will ever laugh at your joke. And so every time I go to Toronto, which I try not to do, but um, I do wind up there, every time I check in a hotel, I'm like, Would you, you guys have hot water? Like, where'd you get all the electricity? This is unbelievable. And they always have the same responses. We've had electricity for a long time, eh? <laughs> like, no, it's a joke. <laughs> you don't really have sled dog parking in front. I know that. No, we haven't had sled dogs in a long time, eh? And so, <laughs> I just love it. I've told so many sled dog and Molson jokes, it's just, and I'll never stop. But one of the reasons I do it is because I do think it's important to, to laugh at your circumstances, not simply because it makes you feel better, though it does, but because it, it gives you perspective on them. And humor requires some distance, some critical distance, both from yourself and from your surroundings. And you can't really see things clearly until you have that. And so if you have a country where the funny people feel like they have to leave, that's a huge problem. And that's the first problem. The second problem is you can't really be effective as a political movement or a resistance movement, which effectively you are, if you don't laugh at your enemies. Because not only are they evil, and they are, they're also ludicrous. They're ludicrous. And it's really important to say that because it saps their power immediately. Laughing at somebody, and if you're a married man, you know that, no, it's true. Your wife could come and hit you in the face with a two by four, and that would be less painful than having her laugh derisively at you, particularly when you get out of the shower. That would just end it for you. That would end it. Your male power would evaporate like a puddle on a hot day, like you'd be done, because it has that effect. And so to look at your enemies, like let's say you had some sort of weird prime minister like to dress up in fussy costumes. It would be super important to point that out a lot like relentlessly. Somebody told me last night that his base, I, I was asked, we had this wonderful dinner last night with two of the most famous people in Canada, probably the two most famous people, Lord Black and my friend, Dr. Jordan Peterson. And I asked, um, I asked like, is there anyone in the country who supports this guy? He's so, pr I mean, I know him only, I've never met him. I only know him through television. I know his cousin, Gavin Newsom, uh, pretty well, but I don't know him. Is there anyone who takes him seriously? And they, everyone in the room said, oh yeah, 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 young people, particularly young women, take him very seriously. They love him. And I thought, there's really only one way to combat that, and that's by pointing out what an absurd poser this guy is. He's like a ridiculous figure. Like, you should dislike and resist Justin Trudeau and his government to the maximum extent of your ability. But before you do that, before you do that, you should just laugh at him until you can't breathe. Seriously. The guy's like, he's showing up for a costume party when no one else is. There's no costume party and there's Justin Trudeau. Like speaking as some sort of moral voice. Weird little cross-dresser. So anyway, that's my first piece of advice. My second piece of advice, once you've done that, which is very effective, and I know it's not the Canadian way because it's such a polite society that everyone feels morally bound to take everyone else's point of view very seriously and sort of nod gravely and pretend to consider their perspective. But there are some perspectives that aren't in fact perspectives, they're attacks on you. And that's the main thing that I wanna say in the short time allotted today, is that you should recognize what is happening to you. This is not a political debate to which you've been invited to participate. This is a destruction of you. 
and your culture and your beliefs and your children and your future as a country. And that's not overstatement. It's provable statistically. So just take three steps back. If you have a government that is giving fentanyl to your children, as they are in BC, and notice your premier has a no fentanyl to kids policy, God bless her. Um, I know, and you're applauding. I mean, and I'm applauding, and I'm grateful. But how distorted is your world where you have to applaud the one politician's like, you know, we're not going to give fentanyl to the kids today. Okay, but then take two steps further back from that and ask yourself, if someone's giving fentanyl to your children, what, what, what's kind of the message of that? Well, they're trying to kill your children, obviously. Fentanyl? It's the number one cause of death under 40 in the United States. Number one in the whole country, followed by suicide. If you want to know where we are, we're about two years behind you. And it's only because we have a louder media space than you do that we aren't ahead of you. But if someone's giving fentanyl to your children without telling you, they're trying to kill your children, which are your inheritance, or the only meaningful thing you will ever produce on earth, okay, are your children. That's the first thing to know. Second, if they are trying to kill you, and by the way, I know I'm offending everyone, even this group, because no one in Canada wants to talk about anything. It's like an Episcopalian Christmas dinner. And I grew up in that world, so I know everyone's had like three too many, and then someone will burt out, you wrecked my childhood, and then everyone will sit there in silence. <laughs> it's so awesome. Um, but Anglo-Canada, like Anglo everywhere, doesn't like to say anything out loud. But let me just do it anyway. Um, if you're killing 50,000 of your citizens, if the government is doing that through the MEAD program, and a lot of them are not actually terminally ill, they're just sad, and the government is encouraging them to submit to being killed by the government, and then won't release the re recent statistics, like, what is that? What is that? Yeah, it's genocide. That's exactly what it is. It's killing large groups of people. And who are those people, by the way? We don't, we don't know, because your government hasn't reached the stats. What percentage of those were born in Canada? I'd bet right around 100%. So if you're a government, you have the duty to your citizens, people who are from here, people whose ancestors built the place, not exclusively to them, but primarily to them, to your citizens. Like, why else do you exist except to serve your citizens? And if you're targeting your citizens, how many people who arrived in Canada in the last 10 years have opted into the MAID program? I don't know the answer. I'd bet around zero. It's all people who are from here. And now the government brags, oh, we're saving money because they died. That's the darkest thing I can imagine. I bet there's zero conversation about that in this country because I know this country and I know what it's like. It's too horrible. No one wants to talk about it. You should talk about it. But more than anything, you should internalize the message of that, which is they hate me. They hate me to the point they're willing to kill me, which they are. And the third thing is notice the erosion of your most basic civil liberties, not the ones granted to you by the crown, but the ones granted to you by God. And those would include the freedom of speech, which is inalienable. It cannot be taken from you no matter who is in Ottawa, or as we say, Ottawa. Which, by the way, is the correct pronunciation according to my friends in the Ojibwa community. I've pronounced it that way every time on television, and I get all these angry, you know, it's, you're pronouncing it incorrectly, you don't even know the name. It's like, yeah, I know a lot about Canada. I'm doing it on purpose to make fun of you so you will laugh, but you won't. And then this Ojibwa leader writes in and he goes, yeah, all the whites are wrong, it's actually Ottawa. Go Ottawa! Anyway, it doesn't matter who's in the prime minister's office. Your rights remain the same because you were born with them because you are not a slave, you're a human being. And you have inherent dignity because God made you. That's just a fact. And if they're taking those rights away piecemeal and doing so in the name of public safety, even as they make the public sphere much more dangerous, which they have, in case you haven't noticed, Canada has a lot more violent crime now than it did 20 years ago. Have you noticed? Of course you have. You live here. And if they're telling you you can't defend yourself against that crime, we're going to disarm you. You can't protect your life or your family. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's for the public safety. It's just not, not a big deal. These are weapons of war. No, they're weapons of self-defense, which you need and deserve as a free person, not a slave. And then they're telling you you can't complain about it. And then they're subsidizing the media to the point where all of your big media outlets, which are disgusting, are state media because they're taking state cash. Do you watch CBC? I do, occasionally. I can turn in any hour of the day and I will learn that I am racist for driving an SUV and not being trans. That's, that's the whole schedule of CBC programming. 
But interpret that. That's not woke. Oh, it's woke. I hate the woke crap. It doesn't mean anything. They hate you. That's what they're saying. They're saying that you are bad. That's exactly what they're saying. Don't lie to yourselves. That's, what, that's all I'm saying. And we are very delusional in the United States because we're so distracted by stuff and electronic devices and the promise of next day delivery from Amazon of brightly colored plastic crap made in China that we tend to be slow to figure out what's going on. But Canada has a different restraint, which is a cultural one. It's an Anglo, specific Anglo-cultural one, which is just like, I don't want to deal with that. That's too uncomfortable. But in your heart, anyway, even if you voice it to no one but yourself, know what the message is. And the message is, you are bad. I mean, I'm going to say the most controversial thing ever. I watched when Montreal was cleansed of its Anglo legacy. And I'm not anti-French, just, just for the record, at all. But I am Anglo, and I had friends in Montreal. And in the span of a generation, like, that's all gone. They were forced out. And they're like, okay, I guess we'll go to Ontario. What? My grandfather built this city. I'm not going anywhere. How about that? That never occurred to anyone. Because no one could say out loud what was actually happening. This was a series of acts of hostility aimed at you because of things that you didn't choose, like how you were born. And once you will keep allowing that, you have no future, okay? So if they're limiting your freedom to say what you think, which is a freedom of conscience, the most basic of all freedom, your freedom to defend yourself and your family against bodily harm, which has got to be a twin to the first one, if they're taking away your voting power by changing the population of your country, which they are doing, and no one wants to talk about that, Canada has the highest immigration rate in the world per capita. And shut up, racist! That's not racist. I don't care if they're coming from New Zealand. I don't care if you're taking the population of Stockholm and moving them to Canada. If you change the population of the country, you change the country. And you dilute the voting power of the people who are vested in that country, the people who are born there, who have lived there long term, who understand the history and the culture of the country, who are bought in. And all of a sudden, their vote means much less. It's math. You guys do that. Math. That's horrifying that this is happening. And there's no public debate over it whatsoever. Why do you think that's happening? Is it for economic reasons? I'd be kind of okay with that. If someone could stand up and say, we're totally changing the population of Canada because we think it's better for our economy. Okay, tell me how. We can have rational conversations. We're adults. I'm a citizen. This is my government too. Tell me how that works. But they can't because that's not true. Look at your housing prices. Look at the strain on your services. Look at your healthcare system which no Canadian I meet brags about anymore. And one of the main reasons is it's overburdened. There are too many people. Oh, we need population growth. Really? Tell me, tell me why. Tell me why all of these slogans make sense. I've watched Canadian hockey from time to time. They literally say diversity is our strength before they open the, the game. Okay, what does that mean and, and why is it true? Shut up. No, I'm not gonna shut up. You're telling me to accept a slogan so it's incumbent on you to explain what the slogan means and why it makes sense. That seems like a common sense rule. If you're forcing something down my throat, tell me how it tastes before I swallow it. Oh, shut up, racist. No, nope, no, nope, not going to. Not racist. I'm not going to shut up. Answer the freaking question, you weird cross-dressing <laughs> prime minister. And the last thing I'll say, and I will stop at this because I'm sure I've gone beyond the time allotted, Keep going! I'm out of control! Unleashed in Canada! <laughs> um, the last thing I'll say, which also may be controversial because it sounds like a parochial concern or some sort of, you know, weird religious thing or something, and it's not. But take a look at what they're doing to your Christians. And I say this for a couple of, I am a Christian, but that's not why I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this because there's there's kind of no more inoffensive and peaceful group in the world than the Christians. In fact, there isn't. Their religion t t tells them, commands them to turn the other cheek and to put the concerns of others above their own concerns. So if you have a problem with those precepts, explain it to me. Speak slowly so I can understand. I think every person in this room, regardless of your faith, can agree, yeah, I'm for that. I wish I was more like that. That's good. We need more of those people in society. Serve others for the sake of service. People who pray for their enemies. Who does that? Who would pray for an enemy? 
No one, except the Christians, and they do. They're commanded to. So if you're hassling that group, maybe you've got another agenda that we should be concerned about, even if we're not in that group. If we burn 90 of their churches to the ground, and the prime minister and his little weird buddies are endorsing that, burning churches, if you're on the side of burning churches, let me just say, I don't need any other facts of the case, you're on the wrong side. If you're throwing preachers in prison for preaching the Christian gospel, not for hurting anyone, not for making pipe bombs, not for trying to castrate other people's children, not for importing millions of people into your country who are not going to have work, just for the crime of preaching the Christian gospel, you go to jail at the same time when they're encouraging your kids to do drugs and not just fentanyl but weed. Don't raise your hand if you have a 15-year-old son, but come up to me after and tell me what you think of legalized weed. For real. And, and if you have a 15-year-old son, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They did that to you and to your son on purpose. And so in a country like that, in a world like that, if you think that preaching the gospel is so dangerous that the people who do it need to be in prison in shackles, you're serving someone other than the people of Canada, if you know what I mean. That's really scary, and I don't care how much they dress it up in the passive-aggressive, self-help language of the modern left. Well, it's really about public safety. Every time I turn on your freaking television shows, everything's about public safety, which is a euphemism for hard-edged fascism, actually. And frankly, I'm a little bit more comfortable with the old-fashioned variety, where guys in tight uniforms goose-step through your town, because at least you know who you're fighting. And you know what it's going to take to liberate your town. Get rid of these people and everything will be okay. But when they show up and they're therapists with advanced degrees, and they look at you in the face and say, no, actually, little Dylan just needs more fentanyl. Little Dylan's actually a girl. And we're going to, yes, he's a girl. Sorry, she's a girl. She's a girl. And if you don't agree, well, maybe we may have to remove Dylan to more care-affirming custody oh, you're going to take my kids away because I don't want to castrate them. They'll never say that, of course, because clear language is their enemy, because clear language exposes who they really are. They're not people who are trying to help you. They are people who are trying to hurt you. Anyone who goes after your children, anyone who encourages you to have fewer children is trying to make you extinct. It's literally that simple. And it's only in the advanced West that we don't see that. Try that crap in Bulgaria. Try that in Serbia. How do you think that would fly in Serbia? We're just going to give little Voldok some fentanyl. And we think, you know, he may be, you wouldn't even get to the next sentence before you got shot. Because you're trying to kill someone's kids. And your average Serb, whatever you think of them, doesn't have generations of therapy talk that acts as a logical intermediary in his brain and prevents him from seeing what's actually going on here. They're trying to kill my kids. I'm the father. I won't allow it. I'll lay my life down to prevent it. It's literally that simple. So I'll stop with this. The answer, before you take any sort of action or imagine that some election is going to fix things, comma, which it's not, spoiler alert, because this country, like every country, every country, very much, and maybe especially including my country, has a lot of frauds in that business. Sorry. It does. Uh, I would know. It's the one thing I know a lot about. Before any of that takes place, you need to change inside. Your attitudes need to change. And your timidity needs to be replaced by bravery. The muddled thinking that you have about this stuff, the average Normal Canadian, just like the average normal American, sees this stuff pop up on his phone or he's on X and he's like, I can't believe it, the world's going to hell. But it's scattershot. There's one here, one there, one there. No, it's not scattershot. It's of a piece. It's of a piece. They're all connected. And it's aimed at you. And if you don't agree, tell me how I'm wrong. But I'm not wrong. I'm right. And so the first thing that you need to do before changing 
anything in your country is to change everything about your heart. You have to be ready for a contest where the stakes are existential, which they are. And with that, I will stop. Thank you.